let me just say, if there truly is a spiritual aspect to Christianity, if God is spirit, then the issues of how prayer is used as witchcraft and how the Bible is abused for political power as assault on people, these are really significant issues. But I believe most Christians don't really believe their beliefs are mystical and spiritual, and therefore they don't give a damn, and they want human power, and that makes all the sense in the world if your religion is based on human beings' ability to garner and gain power. So let's talk about it in today's Pastor Paul's Bible Talk, witchcraft as, excuse me, prayer as witchcraft and assault, and political abuse of the Bible on today's Pastor Paul's Bible Talk. I had an experience this past week where somebody said, the old, good old Christian standby, I disagree with you. I'll pray for you, brother. And I've really been thinking a lot about how not only is prayer manipulative, self-righteous, patronizing, but it really is witchcraft. And I made a TikTok about how prayer, as used by Christians today, is witchcraft. Christians, you need to learn that no means no. Well, brother, it looks like CNN or Satan done got you there. I'll be praying for you. When Christians say they're going to pray for me, I know what they really mean. They're going to ask a mystical, supernatural power to come down and manipulate me to believe as they believe. Christians, do you know what your Bible calls that? It calls it witchcraft. And you know what your Bible says about witchcraft. Then again, Christians, it's clear you don't read your own Bible very often. Maybe you better go study what it says about using mystical powers to manipulate things on earth. I recently had a Christian give me this self-righteous, self-promoting platitude of, I'll pray for you, and I said I would rather that he not. He told me it didn't matter. He loved me and would pray anyway. Dude, learn to respect boundaries. Then he came back the next day and said he had his whole prayer group praying for me and they had heard amazing things from God, but he wasn't going to tell me. Christians, you scream all the time about your rights being taken away and being oppressed, yet you never stop trying to impose yourself and your beliefs onto others. Listen, I believe there is a spiritual and mystical connection that can happen between human souls. That means if you continue to pray for somebody when they ask you to not, you are stealing their spiritual autonomy. In other words, you're committing spiritual assault. And it's just wrong. Christians, let me encourage you to learn. You're not being oppressed. We all just think you're assholes. Your Bible even says your man-made God gave free will. So neither your God nor you have the right to impose yourselves onto others. When are you ever going to learn that no means no, even to God? I cut it off just a little bit early there, but yes, no means no. And if there truly is a spiritual God out there, then refusing to take no as an answer for prayer is spiritual assault. It is imposing yourself onto someone else in a very intimate, connective way. 
and Christians to do so makes you a jerk and makes you not in line with Jesus. And I'm going to talk about this today. But think about it this way. It, 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 that prayer that says, I'm going to pray for you in order for you to change your beliefs is literally witchcraft in this way. It is literally saying, I'm going to speak an incantation and it's going to compel a supernatural mystical spirit to manipulate your mind into believing as I believe. It is casting a spell. I'm going to ask the supernatural to come down and manipulate you to change. And nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to do so. In fact, in 1 Chronicles chapter 10, we see that it says King Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance. Now, some would say, well, this means like all witchcraft is, is bad and out there. But the, the idea here is that King Saul is trying to manipulate spiritual powers to move things around. And, and by the way, what it does show is that there are spiritual beings in a spiritual world out there, Christians, even your version of the Hebrew text you called the Old Testament, talks about Saul conjuring up a dead person, Samuel, to come and talk to him. Um, it's also interesting, by the way, that the word for sorcery is pharmakeia, where we get pharmacy, and so it speaks against doing drugs, and caffeine is a drug, just so you know churches that you're giving drugs to your people every Sunday morning, but that's a side road. But we do see there is this spiritual world that the Bible talks about. We we know that dead people visited Jesus. Elijah and Moses, it says in the New Testament, came and visited Jesus. So there is a mystical realm to the world that even the Christian Bible is there. And I don't believe most Christians actually believe the Bible or believe that to be true. And so we think, I'll pray for you, brother, is, is just giving our superiority and self-righteous platitudes to people in order to show how much better we are than them. But I think you actually are making a spiritual statement. And as I said, I think it is a spiritual assault. It is going after somebody in, an, in a connected, intimate way that says, I'm going to impose my beliefs on you and manipulate you mystically, whether you allow me to or not. It is a stealing of spiritual autonomy. I think we can connect to each other spiritually. That's why I have mindfulness moments. That's why we take communion together in our online Sunday community. So if you say, I'll pray for you, brother, and I say no, and you say, I love you, I'm going to pray for you anyway, even if you say no, that is the definition of spiritual assault. And again, maybe it's because Christians don't actually believe there is a mystical power to prayer. And maybe they don't actually believe the Bible at all that it says over and over again, like it says in Galatians 5.14, for the whole law, like all of the rules are fulfilled in one word. It says in Galatians 5.14, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if you practice witchcraft on yourself, I guess that's what you can try to do on others. But I don't think most Christians say that. 
Jesus talked about these type of prayers, these, I love you, brother. I'm going to pray for you, even if you tell me not to. I think Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6. I'm going to read a, a fairly big portion of scripture that shows that idea of manipulating prayer that tries to use mystical power to manipulate someone to your beliefs is not Christ-like. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. At the end of the day, this guy that was online telling me, I'll pray for you, was didn't care about me, didn't love me. He wanted to be seen as superior, as supreme, as his beliefs being higher and bigger than mine. And Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that you may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So Christians, when you have a backpack drive, when you have a homeless feed so you can click the task list, there, I helped the poor, you're doing it for an outward reward. In some ways, I even say there, there are all kinds of things. Like you can, I have a lot of Christian friends that talk about how they adopted kids. And in some ways, sometimes I feel like, man, you're, you're sort of telling me this because you want to show me how good you are. And I'm not saying everybody who does that, but when you do that, you don't get a heavenly reward. Your reward is in the adulation of others. Jesus says this in Matthew uh, in Matthew 6, verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret, God, the Spirit of heaven who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty frame phrases as the Gentiles do before they think they will be heard from their many words. Have you ever heard a Christian pray, Father, come down, Father. Father, do this for this person, Father. Father, we just pray today, Father, Father, Father. Father. And it's like, guys, saying Father enough times doesn't mean you can mystically manipulate heaven to answer what you demand it do on earth. Do not be like them, Jesus says in Matthew 6, for God in heaven knows what you need before you ask. And then goes into the Lord's Prayer, none of which says, and God manipulate those people out there to our beliefs. And he finishes in verse 14 of Matthew 6 with this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So this person is praying that I will be mystically manipulated by heaven to change my beliefs when Jesus himself said, oh, sir, if you believe you're a follower of me, you forgive those trespasses. And when you forgive Paul's trespasses, your, your perception of Paul's sin, I'll forgive your sin. But if you don't forgive Paul's sin, I won't forgive your sins. 
Christians, your own Bible doesn't back up what you say and do. This passage literally says a Christian praying gets to either hold a person's perceived sin against them, at which point you yourself will not receive forgiveness, or you can offer forgiveness to the other person and receive forgiveness yourself. It, it says it this way in James chapter 5, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. That's praying for the sick. And the Lord will raise that person up. If that person has sinned, the sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed, that you may be sozoed. Nothing in any of that says pray that that sinner will be manipulated mystically by your prayer to change their beliefs. Jesus never once demonstrated such an act, never endorsed it, and more often than not said, wow, you look like a hypocrite doing that. And you're just like those guys that pray really loudly with a whole bunch of words so that they can say, look at how righteous I am. But if you truly believe in a mystical God and you're commanding that mystical God through an incantation you call prayer to change me, you are making an illegal spiritual connection and an illegal spiritual assault. And I don't think Christians really understand that spirituality of it all. And I love a passage in Luke 9.55, and I'm kind of breaking one of my own rules here because I'm going to use a part of a passage that was not in the original manuscript of the Bible. So we can dispute whether this passage is in the Bible or not. It is in some English translations. It is not in others, which is funny because I hear Christians talk about inerrancy in the Bible and we have English versions that don't even match together. But we have the story in Luke chapter nine where a, a group of people rejects Jesus. So that is... I'll pray for you, brother, you're rejecting Jesus. So Jesus himself is rejected from this group of people. And as they're walking away, his two, two of his best buddies, James and John, say, Jesus, we're so offended for you. We're going to pray for those people. And our prayer is going to be that fire will come down from heaven and consume them, that they will be mystically changed for being rejectors of Jesus. And the Christian Bible, your Bible, Christians say, says this in Luke 9, 55, Jesus turned and rebuked them. And that term rebuked in the original Greek means he scolded them in the harshest possible terms. He says, God damn it, stop it right now. He turned and rebuked them and said, you don't know what kind of spirit is influencing you. You don't know the spirit you are of. 1 Samuel 15, 23 says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And Christians, your display of this idolatry of, I'll pray for you, brother, so that you can feel self-righteous and superior and supreme over others, is as the sin of witchcraft. 
Jesus said to James and John, you want to harm other people for my name? You have no freaking idea who I am. And you don't know the spirit that has influence over you right now. Christians, you don't know the spirit you are of, but it's not from heaven. Your own scriptural interpretation does not back up your idea that I'll pray for you is an act Jesus would endorse. Jesus never once told a sinner, I'll pray that God will manipulate your beliefs. He shared his life and his story with them. He served them. He had relationship that cost him his reputation, put his income at risk, and ultimately cost him his life. That's how he worked with sinners. Never once did he say, I'll pray that God will manipulate your brain. There's nothing Christ-like about that act. How should we act? Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17 says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. That's what being a follower of God looks like. Not, I'll pray for you. There's nothing coy, clever, or pleasing to God about, I'll pray for you. I'll, I'll ask the Spirit of heaven to manipulate your beliefs. It just is what it is, guys. You're not following scripture to say, I'll pray for you that you will get converted to my religion. Ephesians 6.18 says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions. So a mystical process Son of man, stand up, it says in Ezekiel, let this come, with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this, is, this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So it says, yeah, pray in your own community. Pray for those who, who want you to be around, but don't pray an incantation to try to bring the supernatural to manipulate people around you. It's one way Christians abuse and spiritually assault people with their religion. Another is the way uh, right-wing politics is now using the Bible to uh, manipulate through abusing the Bible. And Ron DeSantis did this this week, and I've got to I've got to share this. Um, this is wholly unscriptural and ungodly, and uh, I'll show it to you now. Our country is worth fighting for. So put on the full armor of God and take a stand against the left schemes. Christian, since it's clear you don't read the Bible very often, you may not recognize that passage as being from Galatians 6 and that Governor DeSantis left out the fact that it says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our battle's not against human beings, but against principalities. So I'm sure you're quite angry at the governor for misusing your Bible. Well, we all know that won't happen because abusing scripture for Republican right-wing political purposes is a tactic of manipulating Christians that's been used very successfully for decades. Putting on the full armor of God never meant for standing for a lie about voter fraud. It didn't mean demonizing teachers and banning books from schools. 
it never meant using trans kids as political footballs to rev up hate-filled people. You may not know what the Bible actually says or that your religion is being prostituted by a man like Governor DeSantis, but you should know this. That same Bible also says, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, is actually doing an activity that is pleasing to Christ. Our country is worth fighting for. So put on the full armor of God. It is a total abuse of religion. And it's interesting. Uh, I hear people say a lot, well, you know, Jesus would be against all politicians. And there, there, there is... Uh, a truth in that, I get that our politics have become very corrupt on the federal level in a lot of ways. But there was a particular distaste that Jesus had for a religion that corrupted itself that with politics, that hoard itself out for politics. And we see this in the book of John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus and Lazarus being raised from the dead and this miracle spreading throughout the land caused the religious leaders to be very, very upset. So they got the group of religious leaders together. And in John chapter 11, it says this, what are we to do for this man? They're talking about Jesus performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place or our temple. It's, it's said in other translations and our nation. If people believe in Jesus, we will lose our religion and we'll lose our country. That was what made the religious leaders of that day upset. And that's what religious leaders in American Christianity are about today. We need to preserve our religion and our country. God be damned. Our goal is to make our country great again. The people that Jesus stood against in the Bible believed that God's major goal was to make Israel great again, that their race, their religion, their nationality needed to be the economic and military power of the world for the world to be a good place or a godly place. Sound like any other religious group of people you know today? So if you want to abuse the Bible for political purposes, as Ron DeSantis and, and right-wing political leaders do, and right-wing religious leaders as well. And you want to say, I'll pray for you as witchcraft manipulation of people around you. Let me finish by reading Proverbs 6. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, proud eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies like election fraud and the person who stirs up conflict in the community, like politicians who use religion to divide and demonize. That's interesting. I hear a lot of people use this passage as an abortion passage that talks about shedding innocent blood. And that's nowhere in the Jewish mindset of the writer of this proverb. But that we do things when, when the Bible talks about caring for the poor, the foreigner, the marginalized, and the widow, it's talking about people who are economically disadvantaged by the system at hand, those that are poor. We know that foreigner, like foreigners 
in the time that was written were not allowed to own land or property or be a part of the financial system of their group of people. And neither were widows. Widows who lost their husband had no legal right to own land or own a business or bring in money. And the shedding of innocent blood I see today is systemic poverty that we place upon people that leads to a shorter lifespan. In my city of Fresno, redlining from the 50s, 60s that lasted well into the 80s, and and now we just call it urban sprawl, has such an impact on people. It, it, it has that economic system has such an impact on people that we have uh, zip codes in our city where the children who grow up in those zip codes have a life expectancy that is 20 years shorter than my children's life expectancy. And Christians, you don't give a damn. You just want Ron DeSantis to get in there and demonize trans youths. You want to talk about shedding innocent blood? How many young people who have some form of gender or sexuality confusion kill themselves because Christianity tells them they are terrible people hated by God. You want to talk about shedding innocent blood? Christians, God is not calling you to follow a wannabe tyrant like that, to demonize and stir up conflict so that he, you can make fear-based voting decisions. Jesus was a being that said, we will stand against such a system. I will stand against religion and politics that demonizes and marginalizes those that my race, my religion hates. The people that looked like evangelicals in the first century were the ones that Jesus said, you're whitewashed tombs. And I'm going to go sit with those that you hate, and you're going to hate me too. And if you're one of those marginalized people from the LGBTQIA plus community, from these days, even Democrats that are passionately hated by Christians as a swath, as a group. I wanna tell you, I have a wristband that says, God is not mad at you. And I promise you that is true. Do not listen to the hatred that comes from the church. God is not mad at you. God is not asking Christians to pray for you, to change you and manipulate you. And if somebody says, can I pray for you? You get to make the choice, yes or no. And by the way, Christians, if you say, can I pray for you? And somebody says yes, then by all means, understand there is a mystical interaction happening between heaven and between you and that person. And don't act like it's just words and maybe some way God will do something. Understand the mysticism of the moment. We do have the power to cast shame on one another, which generally then shows we are a shame-based person. Or we can declare each other shame-free just as Jesus did with the woman caught in adultery. I do not condemn you and I chase away any condemnation around you. And to those of you who have been shamed by your church, by your religious parents, by your religious school, by a right-wing person, I tell you today, God is not mad at you. And the mysticism I pull down for you is the goodness of heaven that says you are good 
inherently and deserving of good things. And thank you all for listening to my Bible talk. 